Residents of Brookfield were shocked this afternoon by the broad daylight murder of Bruno Sauls. The court accepts the existence of God every time a witness swears to tell the truth. I think it's about time they accept the existence of the devil. Garbage in, garbage out. Hello, hello, all you gigalos. Welcome to Garbage In, Garbage Out. I'm your host, Kelton, and I'm joined, as always, by my amazing co-host, Grift. How's it going, buddy? It's uh, it's pretty good, as always. You know, checking in from the uh, home of occult, uh, you, you know, happenings in America, you know, uh, New England. So uh, my my mea culpa is that the devil made me grift. <laughs> it is, I think, uh, always a pretty fun thing whenever your particular part of the world gets highlighted in in any movie whatsoever. Uh, I'm not sure that anything like in Houston is probably going to be a good thing, but you know, there's not like the Salem witch trials references that come all the way out here. So I consider it kind of a wash. Uh, <laughs> now joining us this week, though, we have Evan from the Socialist Film Podcast, Kino Lefter. How's it going, sir? Hello, Kelton and Grift. I am doing well, and I'm excited to to join your program today. Excellent, excellent. I need you to uh, redo that line just to sound a little bit more like a hostage uh, reading from a prompt. <laughs> I am that, that would be very pleased to make an appearance on this program. I've been a big fan uh, ever since <laughs> there we started. <laughs> Holding up today's newspaper to prove that it's legit. Uh, it's, yeah. it's tricky hosting a podcast, right? Because I, I don't want my tone to be excited, epic YouTuber. Um, but I know sure. that there's a big contingent of listeners who just want to listen to my beautiful, alluring voice, right? So <laughs> you have to hit every possible demo uh, with my delivery. So we're going to we'll see what we can do on this exactly. episode. You know, one yeah. foot into each world, as it were. So yeah. And like, you know, coming from the other side of a relatively... Uh, uh, you know, new podcast compared to what what Kino Lester has been doing for a while now. You know, oh I've, my God, I've, yeah. I've I've been listening to you guys for 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 a minute now. So it's you know being able to have you on the show. It's 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 awesome. Yeah, I, I think my first episode of Kino Lester that I listened to, y'all were uh, going through on Godzilla King of the Monsters, and that was mm -hmm. the, when the uh, uh, big goth, or, I'm sorry, big moth GF. Uh, title was in there. I'm like, ah, oh, this is beautiful. This is exactly uh, the, the type of thing that I need. So, uh, I mean, we, we can talk about your podcast, though, probably in a little bit, you know, as, as things go along. Uh, you're always doing cool things. I love uh, the idea of what you're doing. Uh, the Planet of the Apes series uh, on Patreon, right? Uh, how's yes. that going for your mental health? Oh, it's going quite well. Uh, I'm a pretty big fan of the Planet of the Apes films. Uh, I haven't seen the Tim Burton one, so that's going to be a bit of a new experience for me. <laughs> but uh, are you a fan of Mark Wahlberg? That's that's the larger oh, question. Absolutely. You know the whole Wahlberg family uh, and everything they serve up, including Wahlburgers. I'm always there. Um, but uh, you know, I'm I'm interested in that one. I think we're on about movie four at this point. They're coming out bi-weekly uh in the, in the patreon feed and we just finished up a uh saw marathon yeah three episodes worth of that um i watched basically all of the saw movies in two sittings 
which uh, I wouldn't recommend anyone oh. <laughs> do. Um, but the movies were fun. You know, they have their ups and downs like uh, anything else. Sure, sure. I mean, it is weird because the Saw franchise uh, has spawned all of these creatives that I think have gone on to what people mostly consider to be better projects. You know, um, the uh, I forget who his name, but the writer of Saw, he's the guy who then did Upgrade and then did the Invisible Man remake. And then, of course, James Wan has done uh, Insidious, but then also like Aquaman and then the Fast and the Furious movie. So uh, maybe not necessarily better in terms of quality, but certainly bigger with a lot more moving parts to it than uh, three people in a in a room and then detectives has to have to investigate. So uh I saw I think is going to be one of those things that people look back on as being like a big influence, if not already looking back on it, which I'm sure, you know, you're, you're covering and all of those sorts of things. We don't need to be talking overly about James Wan, though, because uh, we're talking about Conjuring 3, The Devil Made Me Do It, this latest movie from the Conjuring universe, which is apparently like the MCU for horror nerds. Uh, <laughs> at least that's when I'm going to start calling it until they uh, tell me not to. Uh, what's y'all's familiarity with all of the movies in the universe? This is the first. Uh, this is the first time I've conjured myself, uh, <laughs> so I can't compare it to the first two ones. Um, okay, but it, I could tell it's obviously you know playing with the tropes of the demonic possession genre. And I think a lot of the, you know, the, the criticisms of it are that it doesn't really stray beyond the sort of um, well, well-established themes of this sort of type of movie. And it didn't really offer anything new here to, you know, see, to, to, to see. Definitely. I mean, it, it certainly does seem like it's kind of like a, a twice reheated uh, a dinner entree a little bit. But uh, for some people, you know, everyone needs baby's first horror movie. And so this is probably that for someone who is logging into their parents' HBO Max account at 12 or 13 and is like, whoa, this is blowing my mind right now. Satan and demons? Crazy. Uh, what will they think up next? But uh, yeah, th this thing is the ninth movie overall. So they have three Annabelle movies, The Nun, then The Curse of La Llorona, which I think is fascinating because there was a movie called The Curse of La Llorona, which is this and not very good. And then they have uh, the La Llorona movie, which I believe won like uh, best foreign film or at least was nominated at the Oscars, which I s have seen that one and not fully The Curse of uh, La Llorona. I, I say fully because I stopped watching it halfway through. It was unbearable to me. Uh, it, it was... Uh, so go watch the good one called La Llorona. It'll be the one with all of the awards and uh, not internet reviewers giving five-star reviews that they put on the DVD cover, I think is uh, <laughs> the, the only uh, difference really between the two. This movie, though, Conjuring 3, is made by the guy who directed Curse of La Llorona, though. So it's still an in-studio, in-house thing. James Wan, uh, who was the director for the first two, is just producing kind of from afar. But this is the hand-picked heir apparent. And it kind of feels like if uh, James Cameron gave the keys to the Avatar franchise to Mick G, at least. That, that's my, <laughs> mm -hmm. my personal comparison. Uh, now, Evan, uh, what's your familiarity and then what's your, what's your opinion on how this stacks up to the other Conjurings? So I'm only, this is my third Conjuring. Good, I've, good. Uh, <laughs> I watched the first one probably last year. 
Uh, I thought it was fine. I know these movies have their followers and some people <laughs> will swear by them, but I thought it was, it was okay. It was decent enough. Uh, and I watched the second movie today. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah. I also similarly thought it was fine. It was a passable haunted house movie. Some of the scares are okay, but I think the, and I haven't seen any of the spinoffs. I'm fully aware of uh, Annabelle and all of her feature films and, uh, you know, (laughs) the nun. Um, But I think that the conjuring movies are really interesting because they're this sort of merger of like studio thinking. Obviously you got James Wan in there. He, he is a, he's a, like a visual maximalist. He loves yep. making uh, big studio movies, and I think he can he can do a lot of great stuff with them. And there's also this sort of idea of resuscitating this genre of like demonic possession and haunted house movies and everything else. And of course, it's all sort of wrapped up in franchise building. Of so course, yeah. Watching watching the second movie especially was tough. Because it felt like you were going from room to room going like, oh, and you'll never believe this exciting ghost that we have for you. (laughs) Origin story we have just around the corner. Um, So that's it's there's also literally a hallway. Uh, Sorry, don't don't mean to cut you off. But like the Warrens have like a massive room full of all these artifacts that is just their spinoff factory. Like yeah. it, it, it's amazing to me how they have this constructed. The marriage of the the Warrens and their sort of whole uh, business empire storytelling from you know <laughs> ghost stories with uh, you know a post MCU uh, franchise strategy. It, it's a very nice meeting, and uh, you know <laughs> this is, this is what we get. We get kind of meh to pretty bad horror movies like every year from yep. the, the masterminds over at the conjuring factory. So I'm excited to tune in yet again. Like I didn't see uh, curse of La Llorona, but I heard it was like incredibly bad. Yes. Uh, like I've only <laughs> seen the trailer and if you haven't, don't watch the movie, but watch the trailer. Like it is incredibly stupid. Um, but will I watch it? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I would recommend that for pretty much all of the con- uh, conjuring verse movies is that if like just watch the trailer, you'll get the gist of it because you have to treat it like episodes of a TV show versus like as an actual movie. And that that really is kind of like the MCUification of it because at least for me, this movie felt like uh an X-Files episode that just ran for two and a half hours. At least and that that was kind of my own personal takeaway. Because you know, when you get like the crossover events that take place in this uh cinematic universe of whoa, the Warrens are appearing in the third Annabelle film. I can't believe it. It's like, oh my <laughs> God. Okay, I can yeah, believe th- it. Yeah, it's like when Iron Man showed up in Civil War. Uh, yay. Go Captain America or whatever the fuck. It, it just seemed like it was kind of, okay, more of the same. It's it's the fast casual to everything else's fast food that has existed in the found footage genre. So I guess I can't complain. Just like how in superhero movies, I can't complain like about the action scenes, but it doesn't excuse like the uh, copious amounts of uh, military propaganda that exists throughout. I don't need those trappings for it. Yeah, as like someone who both didn't have uh, experience with the Conjuring verse beforehand, and now hearing about how the this uh, 
um, uh, you know, demonic crime fighting duo, the the Warrens are showing up in other movies in this MCU thing. Like, are they involved with the production at all? Because it seems like this is pretty heavy handed Warren propaganda at this point. Oh, yeah. Like, like it it is they they are going hard on their real life uh, satanic panic grift, which must have what (laughs) like that must have like fueled what was going on with them in real life. Because to actually like use demonic possession as a courtroom defense, that's just that's just going next level. Hey, (laughs) who needs separation of church and state, Grift? Come on, like (laughs) it's an important thing. Yeah, I'm gonna include it in like the the little like blurb of the movie trailer that I put at the beginning of these episodes. But there's a line that basically goes, uh, "Well, every time someone comes into the courtroom, we have them swear on the Bible that they believe in God. Don't you think it's time they believe in the devil?" I'm like. <laughs> oh, oh, oh my God! Oh, okay. Well, then, so this is where we're going here. Like, couldn't we just have a good old-fashioned horror movie, one with like hot teens who are having premarital sex and then they get punished for it instead of like uh, Ed Warren's demand for a theocracy to start to take over? <laughs> this isn't just like Warren propaganda. This is like Catholic Church propaganda. So, like, it, it's next level a little bit here. Um, cause, cause, uh, at least as far as I know, as wife Lorraine, she was a, a like a managing consultant or whatever kind of like bullshit term you would want to use as a specialist who would give notes on the movie and on how things actually were until she died in 2019. So, you know, rest and piss to her. She's probably <laughs> hanging out with Elvis and Bragan at this point. She deserves it. You know, she was fighting for the forces of good in her long <laughs> spiritual war against Satan and the deep state. I don't have to get into all of that. I'm sure your listeners are aware. Oh, it, uh, very, very, very uh, incredibly trad podcast that we have here. Uh, <laughs> I'm just, you know, it's just weird because like she's doing the same shtick that the guy from Psych does about like, oh, I'm having a vision. Whoa. Oh, no. It's crazy. And then they're like, but what if it was real? Huh? What what would those flashbacks actually look like? Uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Again, um, if anyone is wondering like how much they gloss up the Warrens, look at the actors who play uh, the Warrens, and then look at how the Warrens actually <laughs> yeah. looked like. And then that is the same amount of glow up that they give the Warrens in terms of their reputation, in terms of how likable they are. It just kind of across the board. Like, I I have no doubt in my head that the Warrens probably loved each other, but they absolutely were grifters. During the 80s, during the satanic panic, that was like what you were doing. If if you were in the in, in this sort of uh, industry, uh, it, that was that was a hot time for it. Uh, ju- just like nowadays, uh, if you're you know a, a Twitter Epstein researcher, that's that's where uh, that's where the money is. <laughs> that's where the cloud is. Uh, <laughs> uh, investigating uh, demonic possession because some guy uh, killed his landlord while listening to rock music in the eighties. That was that was the grift at the time. So yeah. you, uh, you you got to. Respect respect it uh for the you know for for them them uh riding the zeitgeist of that mm-hmm. era so, i mean yeah. I, I even i like i wanted to make a joke about like well how soon until we get like an epstein horror movie but then i remember that movie you were telling me about uh with uh dasha from red scare that she's yeah. gonna be in it it's like a haunted hotel that's like epstein 
the the ghost of Epstein or something. It yeah, was like, it was it was, it was yeah. like a like a, a, a small apartment, a former like Epstein flop house that's rented to two uh, downwardly mobile uh, New York City bohemians. Uh, nice. I, I was I was able to obtain a a screener copy uh, recently, and yeah, yeah, it was pretty good. I'm I'm we I mean it would definitely be one to talk about when it officially comes out. Exactly. But, uh, it, yeah. That that is something that we will definitely uh, legally go through all the correct and proper channels to uh, achieve that. Uh, so I look forward to the the incredibly fair indie price of one hundred and seventy five dollars to go ahead and get that indie screener to do this episode. <laughs> something I uh, look forward to a lot. <laughs> a lot of people have been wondering if the movies are back, and I think we can safely say. Yes, movies are back <laughs> and they are here to stay. Uh, yeah. AMC stock is proving it. You know, it, it's a wonderful time for all we the diamonds. We are holding hands. out for 500K. Nothing, <laughs> we're not selling for anything less. <laughs> uh, th- this whole like pandemic experience, by the way, at least specifically with HBO, like when they did day and date releases of all of their theatrical stuff. To then also say, well, hey, it's going to be on HBO Max, so you can go into theater or you can watch it here if you ha- if you subscribe. It's making me realize like all of HBO and Warner Brothers slate is basically direct to DVD quality stuff because mm-hmm. there's not a single thing that I've watched. That I'm like, man, I wish I could have seen that on theater or in theaters instead it's of very, on my uh, giant screen. It's very funny that you bring that up because uh, I did an episode of my own podcast when uh, this sort of like strategy was announced and at Warner brothers, they were very open to it because they were like not at all very happy with the slate of movies that they had coming out this year. So it just made financial sense for them to be like, you know what you can watch it at home. And then now all of these movies, instead of like being theatrical flops are now talking points because everyone is stuck because at least exactly. I, in, I know in America some things are opening up, but we're we, we got to still wait a little bit longer in Canada. Like we do not have our movie theaters open right now. Um, so you know everyone is sitting around their kitchen tables talking about Mortal Kombat. They're talking about the Conjuring. The Devil Made Me Do It. And uh, you know it's uh, congratulations to Warner Media slash Discovery or whatever that I, I was they about are now. to say. Yeah, the strategy works so well that AT and T has said, "Fuck Warner Bros. We're selling." <laughs> you to the people who do hgtv it's uh, so funny yeah they're they're, uh, they're they're getting so much money that they uh could afford to pay a graph a legitimate graphic designer for that new logo they have i don't, <laughs> I don't know if you guys saw that yeah, it's so man. stunning like yeah. the, the warner brothers shield is probably like one of the most recognizable logos in like you know the business and then they're like you know what we will replace this with some yellow just a yellow font i i think that's a really wise decision the whole at&t thing is also pretty funny because my only experience with knowing that warner media was owned by at&t was how the snyder fans would always tweet at at yeah. going like hey you're the money people you're gonna give ben affleck his batman movie right and they're like uh yes we'll we'll be right on that and then they sold warner media so it, it's pretty yeah. good how the business works yeah it is pretty fantastic because you know now instead of them spamming sesame street tweets that come out it's uh them trying to go after the property brothers and uh get them to restore the Snyderverse. so we have kidnapped one of the Mythbusters. if you do not answer our demands for justice league 2 you know 
The myth will be busted. Yeah, the, it's the Snyder verse of myth. <laughs> Time to play a game. Yeah, uh, leave leave it to the Snyder fans to be to be a Lester pilled and and following the money. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I just just to go back to what you guys were talking about earlier about um, you know the the direct to DVD quality of these things. I think the one exception I would say w- would be uh, Godzilla versus Kong. Yeah, because uh, yeah. I I got a chance to see that at a local drive-in uh, a, oh. a couple weeks ago and Ooh. i went with some old high school friends we hadn't seen each other in a while we were riffing the whole time it, it was a grand old time at the at the at the drive-in so i think that was the one sort of uh grand cinematic experience that works both on the direct to streaming service and on on the big screen there and and mm-hmm. yeah i guess i do need to amend that because uh you know I know we do have sometimes a, a younger audience of people who are in college and all that. And uh, yeah, if you guys decide to go see Conjuring 3 in the drive-in theater, you get bored halfway through, then start giving each other hand jobs. Like, yeah, that's what it's intended to do. Like, good for you. Uh, proud of y'all for, for, for doing that. Because I think that's kind of, of what happens. <laughs> yeah, magic, where's that in the AMC theater's promo package, huh? Sergei Eisenstein. <laughs> understood this right like the soviets knew this very well um so you just have you just have to look at all the books you have to go to film school for a few years and you'll that's what movies are largely for is getting a getting a horrible hand job (laughs) i think is also how i would describe this movie so i think it's a time for us to dive a little bit into the plot because uh man uh, it it starts off hot and heavy you know we opened in 1981 there's uh, uh ed warren who I'm going to call Ocean Master from Aquaman because that's his highest grossing movie. So uh, mm-hmm. that's great. And then, uh, uh, of course, his wife, uh, also known as the mom from Bates Motel, uh, which I'm <laughs> sure just, you know, is something that she loves. She's like, been awarded so many things. But again, I'm not going to give him the service of this. Uh, you're Ed and Lorraine Warren to me. Uh, anyway, they're trying to get a demon out of the kid who was in WandaVision. So, wow, just a real star-studded trio of actors that we get here. And then uh, in an homage, I'm going to put homage in air quotes here because it's definitely not just stealing on a uh, shot-by-shot basis of a much better movie of a a reference to The Exorcist. A priest arrives by taxi, and then uh, he's trying to help out with the exorcism, and then just gets KO'd by a bunch of plates. So, like, I'll, I'll give it. You stole a shot, but then you subverted expectations. And you know, anytime I see a Catholic priest getting railed in the head, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the thumbs up, the the go ahead sign for it. They they committed the the cardinal sin of you don't reference a much better piece of media, especially right out the gate in exactly. yours. But <laughs> but I mean, he, here we are having someone from Kino Lefter on, so we're <laughs> we're we're committing that that sin as well. <laughs> exactly, you don't bring someone from a much better film podcast on. That's a cardinal sin. That's why. We that's, stick to just like comedians and druggies. Come on now. Yeah, that's why I, I will never do it. Mark Kermode, you will never be invited onto my show. <laughs> I do not want to hear it. Um, but uh, the opening was definitely a tough moment for me. I was doing the dishes and I had the movie on my laptop uh, yeah. while it was happening. And I got mad because like, I mean, The Exorcist, I think is arguably one of the greatest films ever made. and It's mm-hmm. one of my personal favorites. And then, uh, and I, I think that these movies work well when they sort of operate in like a little bit more of like 
and ambiguous like oh was it all in their heads or was the demon real um but then like the cgi made everything look so weird and there's like steam coming out of people and i was just like okay i can focus on the dishes right now like i can i can catch up on this shit later yeah, I, I was like laughing through much of that scene, like especially when the guy got hit with the plates. <laughs> like, so good. <laughs> that, that's really what I, I if anything is watchable. It's like the first six minutes right up until priest gets hit in the head with plates. Yeah. <laughs> God damn. It's fantastic. I mean, I it, it does kind of make me also wonder about like in the tier of demons. You know, because you have like the demons who make people like be able to like control the weather. Then you have other ones that are like, oh, he's kind of super strong. And then you have like what this one ultimately was, which is like a contortionist demon. Like that, that's kind of, I don't know, like low powered ultimately. Cause like I understand that they're, they're a supernatural being and it's scary, but it's also still like an eight year old child. And, like, I feel pretty confident in my ability to take out an eight-year-old, like, if all else fails. I don't know about y'all. Yeah, I mean, you could easily trick it. You could give it some Fortnite, like, and then <laughs> you, you sit it down and you're just like, look, the it's all of your favorite Marvel heroes and Master <laughs> Chief. They are together. And then you can start to see, like, the the white fade from their eyes and their pupils are coming back. Like, at, you know, these Warrens, like, I mean, obviously they had much more limited technology to work with. We hadn't invented Fortnite by then. Um, but, <laughs> That's you know, pong. you have to think <laughs> like them. Yeah, would you would you rather uh, fight a eight year old possessed by a demon or a demon possessed by an eight year old? Oh, uh, demon possessed that's... by an eight year old, easy. Yeah, because like they have those. Some of them have like those spindly legs or whatever. But instead of like stop motion, like running towards you in a hallway, you can just like punt it. You know, you can just like body slam it into the wall. They're eight. They don't know anything about the world or combat. Mm-hmm. And, and that's then kind of where like the the premise of the movie really kind of kicks off because uh things go haywire and then uh y- we see the the demon get talked into jumping into the body of the little boy's sister's boyfriend named arnie and that that's where i was like don't give him like a capable body to operate with like that doesn't mm-hmm. seem any good like that yeah but fine whatever so arnie makes the deal with a demon but uh ed sees this but he has a heart attack because he's a white guy in 1981 and uh he goes <laughs> to the hospital and so then while arnie's not feeling well and is kind of starting to hallucinate a little bit um ed is in the hospital and he comes to and he's like oh i you won't believe what i saw lorraine we have to tell them to go get arnie something bad is about to happen and then wouldn't you know it arnie stabs his landlord 22 times he's hallucinating <laughs> yeah exactly right uh, is it really a crime evan weigh in on the legal ramifications here you're you're taking the L set, I believe, right? Yes. Okay, uh, so killing your <laughs> landlord, a crime? Uh in the eyes of God, perhaps not. In the eyes of the law, yes. <laughs> but can you get away with it? Absolutely. Uh, if you're able to sufficiently prove that it wasn't you and it was in fact uh, you know, a spiritual entity from the other side. Yes, yes. And even if you're not able to, for some reason you'll only, you know, serve five years. Uh, Slap I, I w- on the wrist. Yeah, I wonder what would happen like if Arnie was like a black teenager who killed his landlord. Like, uh, I, I don't think Arnie would be getting out ever. 
is, no. is uh, my assumption here. He would actually have got the death penalty instead of the <laughs> five five or so years he got. You know, able to marry his girlfriend in prison. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, got off relatively light. Would not would not have worked well. But uh, in the scene where he he's he's killing the landlord, uh, it's interesting because he is hallucinating and seeing that you know the the landlord's like acting like a demon or some sort of creature but then after he kills the landlord he's possessed by the demon and he's just kind of zombie walking around until a, a cop sees him so i i had a question about what y'all thought about the logistics of the possession because it didn't seem like he was possessed while he was doing the stabbing but then he was when he was then decided to just kind of minecraft walk all the way through a fucking field or whatever yeah, it was weird because I, I well, I actually thought that the like the vision he was experiencing pre murder was pretty solid. Uh, it, you know, it's spooky enough. Um, but then, yeah, like I, it just feels like a trailer shot when he's walking down the road. It uh, was because it I was. saw it in yeah. the trailer um, <laughs> because it has absolutely no connection, right? Because you you hear this brutal murder and then the demon, I guess, is like. And now time to walk down a lonesome road and maybe <laughs> maybe spook a guy who comes across me and then quickly disappear. Um, so it, it none of this fucking movie makes sense. It's not yeah. satisfying either. So also yeah. the goal is to then get him to kill himself immediately afterwards after killing the landlord. Like that's the demon's goal is to get him to commit suicide. Gee, I don't know. Like y'all stabbed him twenty two times with a knife. It would have been real easy to then just do it right then and there immediately after. But the movie needs to happen. So, of course, the demon is very respectful of in that time and uh, lets him kind of meander about for a bit. Uh, what did y'all think kind of you know, bird's eye view here, though, about the idea of what the Conjuring was doing with this movie versus the first two in the sense that the first two movies are glorified haunted house ventures. And this is trying to take like a, uh, a based on a true story, like every h horror movie is, but then actually dealing with like a real murder that is famous for being like the first like the devil made me do it excuse in american history like they're taking a high profile case and then trying to use that as the spawning point for their movie yeah it's like someone who hadn't seen the first two i was sort of confused by that tone because it was going for that strange mix of historical uh you know uh, based on a true story type thing versus mm -hmm. but but with these very obvious over the top demonic fantasy elements uh, and, and just, you know, more bird's eye view stuff. This, you know, it, it felt like the, the aesthetics were very like small town Americana from like the 1950s You're versus right. like the actual like 1980s setting. Yeah. And that yeah. like, and then, you know, there, there was the whole, uh, you know, they, they're listening to rock music and getting drunk and, and so clear references to the sort of satanic panic going on there. Um, but yeah, it was it was a bizarre combo The the tone never felt quite right. Um, and just overall, like it, a lot of it felt sort of tongue in cheek, but then it would the tone would sort of immediately flip to very serious. 
So it, it was a, it was a jarring experience overall, I'd say. Well, I, I mean, what you, you nailed it on the head with the idea of, well, it seems like it's the 1950s. Like I'm looking at like Excalibur came out in 1981, meaning canonically Batman's parents were killed the same year that this movie takes place. <laughs> you know, something for us to consider, but then also there's like Arthur Mad Max Two, escape from New York, et cetera. Like that's the era uh, of the, what the zeitgeist is in terms of like culture with movies and then this really does seem like uh there, there's a sock hop event happening just down the road <laughs> yeah. let's go get on our poodle skirts and hang out by the pharmacy for some soda and pop yeah like that that, that really does seem like the town that they were from um my criticism with the movie in terms of its structure is that I thought that this was going to be a lot more like a courtroom drama. Like I thought all mm. the scenes that we were watching about like their investigations and stuff would be coming uh, through the lens of it being an actual court case. And so it's kind of like a clip show almost uh, as the Warrens are testifying, referencing other cases that they've had and they're all be going from the witness seat. But instead, there's actually only like two courtroom scenes, the more or less bookend the movie. And then it's just used as a way for us to get on board with the plot, which is witches and Satanists and the occult. Oh, my. It, it is a very uh, cobbled together movie. And I think that's very clear once, uh, you know, James Wan's no longer in the director's chair. You don't have the mind behind Furious 7 working on this. <laughs> and, like this. Obviously, this movie has nothing cooler than the, the cars parachuting out of the plane at the beginning of that movie. Um, but it's <laughs> It's like I thought that uh, like you, I thought this film was going to be about like uh, the media circus and the trial and everything, because that's what you kind that's what it's kind of marketed as. But then it's doing this like world building thing of, no, we're actually going to fight this uh, cult of Satanists who I think I had to Google it appeared in the Annabelle movies. So I'm just like, yeah, OK, the, I don't the, care. I, I'm sorry. I don't mean to keep making a, a, a comic book comparisons but they are going to be the hydra of uh, i think the warren's world like i think that's what they're legitimately going for and i see you rubbing your glasses uh, and that is the appropriate reaction the the soft subtle bit of disappointment here <laughs> no i'm just really excited about where uh, franchise films are today you know i'm i'm excited whenever i go to the movie theater um, it's it's really epic, right? Because like I think we're, everyone's really excited to see what the the legion of goat people or whatever the fuck the bad guys are in this. Like what their next evil plot will be. Like I like it's and there's so much lore to learn too, right? That's another exciting thing about this movie is you have to do a lot of homework before you watch it. Oh, it's because, great. Uh, yeah. The casual viewer might think that this is just a film about uh, you know a cult that does some nasty things with a demon, but true fans will have to watch nine films beforehand and read probably the tie-in comics to understand you know where where the conjuring universe is going from here and i wish that you were joking but you're absolutely right because there's the demon valak that goes like from conjuring 2 but then there's also in the nun and is referenced in annabelle like it, it just kind of like it all weaves together it's some sort of a they're viewing it like a tapestry but it's more like a noose that is uh being made here <laughs> with the strands of rope man I, I did not enjoy it but um 
Regardless, to get kind of back to the plot here, the Warrens decide to do their MacGuffin hunt, and so they're retracing their steps, and they meet this old guy who was a former priest. He's played by the dude from Fringe. The legend himself, John Noble. That's right, a.k.a. the guy who you cast when he is going to be either evil or shady as hell. Like, th- that that's what he is, because he's like, I'm just a simple farmer priest. I have chicken shit on my hands. Come down <laughs> to my basement where I have, like, a hallway of horrors about the occult that I did research on for 15 to 20 years. Don't worry about it. I'm giving you a wave of ex- exposition about this random occultist who I definitely don't know and definitely am not related to. Like, that, that that's his whole shtick. And I called it right then and there. I was like, okay, yeah, like it, it's him or he has like a secret child because he's a former priest. Like, that. that's the two th- ways that this thing goes in any horror movie involving the Catholic church. Yeah. That, that's sort of that, uh, that Chekhov, uh, Chekhov's creepy old guy. It, it reminded <laughs> me a lot of the, uh, the guy at the end of Zodiac, the, the, um, the like hand writing expert yes, guy yes, where yes. it's like, okay, this is obviously either just like a, very obvious like um ploy to set up this creepy guy and to artificially generate some suspense or this is actually the guy so and i i think it was very obvious in in this at least that he wasn't the 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 main occultist guy i never i never got that sense i didn't think it was set up very convincingly uh for for the twist to be oh this this guy is the um, is the main bad guy. So I, th- I think it sort of failed to generate the, the, the suspense that it may have been going for with that, uh, I mean, with that plot element. They were trying though, Griff, they gave him a murder basement and you know, like what more can, can we expect? Like, yeah. it, it just feels like this is something that, that almost got old and stale like 30 years ago. Cause the whole trope of like, can you believe that such a great man of faith might be evil? And it's like, well, yeah, like we find out every day that pillars of our community are like abusers and monsters. Like that's what being online is all about. Like there's not this like idea of something so sacred to it. And and so it, it's uh, it just didn't work on me, at least as the idea of, uh, well, th- it surely no nothing bad could be associated with this person. Uh, I don't know. But uh, that that might just be kind of my solo gripe about it. But don't worry, we're not supposed to think about it too long because uh, they get a, a phone call, or I forget exactly how they're told. But they're told about two girls, one who went missing, and the other one who was stabbed twenty-two times. Uh, the number twenty-two. It's a, it's a giveaway, and so they travel from Connecticut to Massachusetts to meet with a, a detective, and then they uh, end up finding a totem at the girl's friend's home. Um, the interesting idea that i thought that this movie had for a split second was that the warrens thought that the detective was bringing uh them in to help them solve their case when in reality the detective was going that guy stabbed his landlord 22 times i have someone who got stabbed 22 times like let's see if we can link these two cases which is good detective work plain and simple and the warrens are acting like he he's crazy how could he not just trust the two grifters instead <laughs> it's how real police work gets done often you'll find yourself uh you know in a position where you're like okay I need to trust this medium with solving this murder. And I, it's, it's a real thing that happens uh, every once in a while. Like you'll hear stories about like, 
you know, oh, like this case has been cold for years. So then, you know, this person hired a medium. And it's like, it, it does sort of speak to the fact that most of the clients of these people are, you know, people who are deeply traumatized and are, uh, you know, not being helped by any other exactly. <laughs> strata of society. But uh, sometimes they have uh, superpowers which can help them solve murders. So I think that's actually pretty cool. Yeah, and, yeah. And anytime I see stories about that, my first thought never is like, wow, the medium solved it. My first thought always is, well, I guess they really did do shitty police work because they were able to immediately find new clues when they actually were forced to pay attention to the details of the case file. It was hilarious because it was like, uh, I think you should uh, go to the river that's right next to the, the site where this person was stabbed <laughs> and look if a body went downstream from there. And the cop's like, my God, you've got it. <laughs> We've <laughs> like, checked three times and we haven't been able to find it. We checked that cliff because, yeah, that's exactly what she says. Like, well, you know, one girl got possessed, stabbed the other one, and then she jumped off of a cliff. And that that's what happened. I, I mean, it, it just seemed weird to me. It was also kind of bizarre because I was getting very like couple vibes. I don't know if it's because it's Pride Month or whatever, but I was like, <laughs> look at these two girls who are such good friends. They're going in the woods together. They're sharing secrets. They're, you know, uh, just the best of friends. Imagining Lorraine Warren, conservative Lorraine Warren, uh, not being able to recognize clearly two lesbian women in a relationship is uh, just a delight to my imagination. Hey, that's that's what happened with the Salem witch trials. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's 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 a sex panic all the way down. But you know, just yeah, to go back to the whole medium cop relationship. Uh, you know, I you know, I, I think when the, when the average person they 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 hear the branding of defund the police, what their immediate thought is. Uh, who will give who who will hire the services of mediums? You're going to destroy an entire industry there. And, the left uh, needs an answer for that. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, it's it's an attack on small business, and uh, I, I think they really need to to do do some real soul searching about how they're going to frame that to to your average hardworking American. Yeah, it, that's that is something that I think is going to be a key voting issue in 2024. So when a uh, presidential nominee, <laughs> Kamala Harris, decides to means test some mediums uh, with a new innovative plan, I, I'm really looking forward to it. I don't know. What, what's the equivalent over in Canada? Uh, like, th does the NDP have someone who would decide to get on board with witches or anything? What? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's a I don't think there's a pro uh, witchcraft caucus uh, at the New Democrats. Unfortunately, uh, there's a lot of grassroots excitement about uh, how we can use how we can tap into occult energies to dethrone Justin Trudeau. Oh, uh, perfect! Aaron O'Toole and the Conservatives out of Parliament. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of thinking going on around that. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> I'm glad that y'all are game planning at least in some capacity because I got to tell you, mm -hmm. our witchcraft caucuses down here, we've been working overtime. Unfortunately, most of the witches are also racist, so it doesn't end up uh, panning out too well. 
but, classic uh, duo racism <laughs> and witchcraft <laughs> yeah i could honestly see like marjorie taylor green having a witch on staff more than any person involved with the democrats uh, again the fact i i need to mention that because i think people forget about it uh, uh reagan's passing i think it's like 17 years to the day happened a few days ago but uh he he had a, an astrologer in his cabinet that was giving him advice on like real world policy issues and foreign policy things and uh, everyone was just seemingly cool with that happening, you know, just uh, uh, madness in terms of a presidency. Uh, fuck that guy. Um, okay, so the Warrens, they decide to, uh, I guess, they, they find out all the information from the woods. Uh, Ed has chased Lorraine around, even though he has a cane and he's like trying not to have another heart attack all the time. That's like his ticking clock basically that that he's dealing with the entire time. So they go to a funeral home. They uh, examine one of the bodies of the girls. And that's when Lorraine uses her X-Men powers uh, to find the occultist who basically looks like the evil twin version of Lorraine. Like I, I know I deal with like with face blindness famously on the show, but like they really look similar in a lot of ways to me. And so I thought that that was going to be like a big reveal of like Lorraine was battling a personal personal demon that was appearing as her for a second. And then like, no, it's just some other skinny older woman with uh, dark hair. Fantastic. I love it. Love it to death. Yeah, and it, so- it, it, it looked more like uh, the actual uh, Warren. Then, 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 the actress who played her. Hey, since that bitch died, you know they're finally allowed to say like what she was like. Offset, <laughs> get someone who's a dead ringer for. Her. <laughs> Just like that, like, uh, like large possessed, uh, like guy uh, looked oh like my the God, look, yes. looked like the actual Ed Warren. <laughs> <laughs> As opposed to like Patrick Wilson. Yeah. God damn. Uh, man, it, it had a little bit of everything, you know, like what would it not be if it wasn't Ed trying to stab what he thought was like a giant demon, but turned out to be his wife twice or him having to tackle a corpse. And then like the coroner coming in and wondering what the fuck happened. Why did they move a body all the way over? You know, uh, simple, unexplainable things that I think keep on taking place. Uh, point is uh, the scene establishes that uh the visions are a two-way street so if lorraine can see the occultist the occultist can see lorraine and uh ooh, isn't that isn't that crazy isn't that wild and then uh their assistant drew who's been in like all these movies but hasn't had like a featured scene really he gives them a plot x machina witchcraft book like literally handing them the like this is your key to the third act right here um to uh, Ed, and then says that in order for the curse to be lifted, you have to destroy the occultist altar. Like, wow, okay, you know, it's a really convenient way to end like a blood spell on somebody. It's like you have to break a table. Yeah, like, I'll do that. I will break a table. You know, that seems like if you're if you're making a deal with a literal demon who has come <laughs> from hell itself to like <laughs> you know, get a soul from you. 
you know, you have to have a better insurance policy than just like, I pray to God, no one like leans on this table wrong or something <laughs> and then it fucking breaks. Yeah. It's like the, the equivalent of that, that age old, you know, conservative American fantasy of, oh, if someone, someone were to break into my house. Oh my God. I would, I would, I would go fucking ape shit on them with whatever weapon was available. Uh, I would the, cast the, so many spells, the, bro. The, so many. The, the equivalent of that for like a leftist Twitter guy is like, my God, if you gave me a sledgehammer and, uh, <laughs> and let, 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 let me loose in the temple on little St. James, man. It just seems like the altar being destroyed is also kind of like such like an obvious thing like in the world of satanic rituals or anything else like uh, have you all seen quiet place part two or uh, like not have yet. You, i have okay. not yet no well again i'm not going to go into too many spoilers um but uh they, they you know they find out rightfully so that like you can kill the monsters by shooting them in the fucking face and like oh wow oh took you how many that? years to figure out that you know it, that's it's like just, the first thing you try honestly yeah like, <laughs> what if we used a large bullet and put it through the brain? Perhaps that would, you know, it's, I'm forgetting the thing that uh, had this in it, but it's like, oh no, like bullets, my only weakness. Yes, yes exactly. <laughs> Very sharp objects. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I think it works in general for most things, supernatural or otherwise. Demon attacking you? cut that eight-year-old's head off you'll be fine you know uh, an old woman attacking you cut her head off you'll be fine uh it, it it's universal at least that reminds me do any of you uh, own swords no no i don't i'm not a sword guy unfortunately I, I, do, I do not own one myself but the room i'm currently subletting uh the the um the owner of the or the the main leasee has like some sort of machete uh in a in a sheath uh hanging on the wall uh, -oh. uh so yeah so that's yeah. that's that's the closest i own to uh to, <laughs> to, to, to an actual sword because <laughs> i'm coming up with a theory that uh, sword ownership is a lot like gun ownership and your ch your chances of dying by that sword or killing uh your stepfather and or your brother in a fit <laughs> of gaming rage <laughs> Uh, goes up quite a bit if you're a sword owner, but in the off chance that a ghost becomes corporeal uh, or, you know, a really tough eight-year-old is running at you who's possessed. <laughs> you know, hey, I, I don't want people to think I'm pro-killing an eight-year-old. I'm talking about like a real mean son of a bitch eight-year-old. Yeah, okay? killing the right eight-year-old who is, you know, beyond repair, right? If, if they're like, you know, Dylan's not coming to the phone right now, it's just me and I'm dragging you to hell. I'm like, well, sorry, it's you first. Like I'm, I'm not ready. Live by the sword, die by the sword. Uh, you yes. know, if, if that if that eight year old's been acting up and the and the Ritalin isn't doing its job, you, you gotta you gotta resort to certain measures. <laughs> it, it yeah that that man. I'm now just having a, an envisioning sequence. It's like uh, that movie Extraction where Chris Hemsworth is uh, fighting and he's just beating the Christ out of all those children. Just now imagine, like, well, what if they had demons in them? That makes it pretty cool. You know, I, I, I'd be in favor of that movie. Uh, Priest Chris Hemsworth. Let's make it happen. Um, okay. So uh, let's see. Yeah, they, they end up, <laughs> Lorraine specifically, goes back to the suspicious farmer priest. And then that's when he tells her, like, he confesses. He's like, ah, oh, yeah, I do have a secret child. And yes, I raised her alone in secrecy. 
And yes, she was there while I was doing all this research into the occult. And yes, she was fascinated by it. And yes, I explained to her what it was. And yes, she then did end up becoming the occultist. Like, he created a supervillain in a fucking basement. And it's just one of those things that kind of gets passed off. So, uh, pish posh, whatever, hand wave, uh, almost. And it's like, no, I, I think that that would have at least been worth a cutaway. I would have liked to see a flashback of some kind, but no, I guess they don't have that. They, they blew all their money on that sweet, sweet John Noble budget. So, uh, they're working with what they got. What did y'all think really- about? Go ahead. Yeah. It was really convenient that, um, the guy that they asked for help, on the demonic possession stuff it's it's his child who's the bad yeah. person i thought that that was a <laughs> maybe it's the force or something i've been reading a lot of star wars legends books recently so whenever <laughs> there's like a horrible like plot convenience where it's like oh the bad person that's my child i'm just like ah, oh, the force works in mysterious ways um but can you use that same excuse in this film of like ah uh, <laughs> may, maybe there are forces beyond our comprehension in the spiritual realm uh you know manufacturing these events for ed and lorraine warren to you know see themselves and who's to say well i it's it's more of that disney blood magic shit like you know we we know that uh you know liberals control the media and they've been pushing a lot of you know woke eugenics lately and uh so i i i think it's it's just in line with that you know it, it all goes back to magical bloodlines and uh like you know race determinism well y'all to be fair uh Star Wars A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back have both come out at this point. So, you know, I'm honestly surprised that they haven't made a goddamn Star Wars reference uh, throughout, at least, uh, to make this happen. Uh, Hire my man, Joss Whedon. He will put some (laughs) in there. He is not being hired by Warner Brothers anymore, so his his dance card is open. You know, it's real bad when even Warner Brothers won't work with you. Like, was it Warner Brothers studio that was like, listen, that Jeepers Creepers director may have done some bad stuff, but we got to push a sequel through and who else is going to make it? (laughs) Oh, man, I, I, I had never watched those movies and I learned about all that stuff through the dumbest possible way. Um, there's this YouTube channel called Dead Meat, and uh, there was this uh, like quick video of his going like, "Why I'll never cover the Jeepers Creepers franchise," and I was like, "Oh, what he he didn't like these movies that I barely for barely remember." And then you find out why, and it's just like, "Oh, okay, very very reasonable position to take." It's because he's a God fearing Christian man. That's why. That's the reason. That's yeah. uh, uh, you can trust us. That's the gigo promise that we did our full research into the subject, and it's definitely that. Not anything much 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 more sinister yeah so. yeah where where is the warner brothers project directed by joss whedon and starring chris delia yeah <laughs> I, I i think the moment is right for that it's a it's a sequel you know there was age of 17 now there's barely 18 i believe <laughs> oh, <laughs> <Jesus. dialogue. laughs> i'm clutching my rosary right now for this entire episode <laughs> Well, uh, to circle back in, Lorraine then does the 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 stupidest thing that you do in a horror movie. She goes by herself into the tunnels to go try and take on the cultists and have like a psychic battle 
with her. And then meanwhile, uh, Ed arrives shortly thereafter, but is like possessed because the occultist uh, acts like a uh, fucking third grader who's in a fight with you by blowing dust in his eyes and just gets taken out immediately. Pocket uh, sand. <laughs> it's awful. But uh, Lorraine is able to tell him that love isn't our weakness. It's our strength, which, oh, man, classic good film writing. Right there. So Ed regains his consciousness, and then uh, he takes a sledgehammer to the altar. He smashes that fucking thing like he was auditioning to be Thor. Like, <laughs> it was just a hell of a scene. Slow-mo, four different shots circling and encompassing. Uh, it was great. So he saves himself uh, and Lorraine, of course. And then also Arnie, who, again, is also the main reason they're doing this. But I haven't talked about any of the cutaways to him. Because it really doesn't matter, ultimately. Like, he's having a spooky time in prison, but not because of it being, like, in prison. It's because, like, there are demons. It's tricky because I think that the other films sort of have the, um, the like, likable families who are experiencing, like, these horrible events, like, built in. Um, mm-hmm. So you can have, like, this cast of supporting characters that you kind of care about. Um, but in this one, like, we cut away to the guy while he's in prison and, you know, he's you know getting treated like shit by the orderlies there in one scene because he like knocks over a bucket and it's just like do you want to clean that up and i'm like wow this film is saying something important about uh, the prison system in america but um i I didn't really care 81 specifically yeah yeah um but uh no i didn't really care about him i didn't care about his girlfriend um i this guy also looks like one of the most generic ya actors you could possibly get for the role like he he looks like a scars guard I I thought he was. You could tell me that this guy played Beast in the new X-Men movies, and I'd be like, yeah, of course he did. um, (laughs) Yeah, don't don't speak ill of Nicholas Holt, uh, one of the leading actors in To Those Who Wish Me Dead, the Angelina Jolie firefighter movie. Come on An extraordinary picture. (laughs) Yeah, like, just in that whole, uh, you know... um, uh, Ed getting possessed and then, uh, you know, having to overcome it through uh, remembering what he loves. Uh, you know, I, like it, it, it took me back to Lib Brain, some like Voldemort possessing Harry Potter shit, but again, <laughs> then gets vanquished because he, re- you know, he, he, he remembers that he can love people. And it's like, God damn it. Like my eyes are rolling back into my head like I'm possessed myself. Hey, uh, it, we're yeah. all groaning, but Pete Buttigieg is getting psyched up for the sequel as we speak. <laughs> I'm just kidding. He he doesn't know what love is. It hasn't been programmed into his tiny puppy killing body. So uh, the the occultist is uh, then uh, able to face off IRL against the family or I guess uh, against Ed and Lorraine. And again, it's a frail older woman against the couple. And then a demon comes and then like fucking contorts her nine ways from Sunday. And then uh, that really made me wonder, like, oh, okay, obviously she dies, and that's bad. I guess she's going to hell, right? That's what's implied. It's not like she kind of gets blinked out of existence. But, like, I mean, it it just really seemed like she was going to an overly aggressive chiropractor, ultimately, is, like, what happened to her. (laughs) Until, like, the next snap at the very end. It just, I mean... Uh, anticlimactic is what I'm saying. Where is the the sky beam? You've made an MCU horror movie. Give me the spiritual sky beam. Uh, Jacob's ladder, if you will, to be able to make things occur. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, stairway to heaven. 
Uh, what what goes to hell uh, other than a highway? Uh, I'm I'm real bad. I'm not good at these things like horror imagery that that people can go down paths. Something mm. M- make it make it good is my point. In Hollywood they they didn't do it though. Yeah, um, have, a, have a ride ride down a ride down a a, a boat uh, down the river Styx to Tartarus. Uh, but like how like I was just wondering like how do these people like how do their limbs still functioning after going through these <laughs> contortions and just to like, you know, bending their body into like crazier shit than the most deranged porno. Like <laughs> it's just like, how do they not break every like bone tendon ligament, like all that shit. And they're just, they're just able, like you could see it with the kid in particular. He just, he just returns back to normal. He's able to, you know, hang out on a waterbed and like, <laughs> and, and like how, how is their body just not completely fucked up from that? You know, I know it's horror movie logic, but just, you know, complete breaking of, of immersion there. Well, and but even like some horror movies, they'll, do something about where like the guy is possessed he then like has his neck cracked or whatever but he doesn't die die because he's being possessed so like the body is uh, i'm sorry the demon is possessing a dead body at this point you know like or there's some form of like necromancy like there's an easy workaround to make it make it happen but yeah in this world everyone like immediately recovers because the uh, Ed and Lorraine again, they are able to go to the gazebo of flashback wonder, where you know they they spent their their happy summer nights or whatever fucking Greece musical world that they lived in at that time was taking place, and then you know they uh, uh, the movie basically closes out with Ed placing a cup from the altar into their room of spinoffs. So like, don't worry, the <laughs> occultist might not be done. Okay. It's fine. And then also like Arnie only gets convicted for, for five years, which, you know, uh, I think that that's the, honestly the craziest thing in the world. That landlord had to have been like a shitty person all the way through. Like I, I, I know in the actual case file, they talked about like how it was an argument or whatever, but like five years, only five years for killing someone like eh, that seems uh, a little uh, interesting. I, I want that, especially with uh, the, the Warrens being involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, particularly because it was like it wasn't just like oh they got in an argument he uh, had a burst of passion and cut him with a knife and he bled out he stabbed him twenty two times if that's actually what happened in real life like the fact he was only able to get off from five years there's an entire like with with only spending five years in jail like there there's an entire courtroom drama that's been left on the cutting room floor that honestly like i thought would be a more interesting story than what we were given here and could serve as a really good like framing device for the whole thing because like we were talking about how how the tone was sort of all over the place and at least i felt like the all the it was just jump scare after jump scare like they weren't they weren't given any room to breathe or to build some sort of like atmospheric horror environment like it it reminded me of the first uh, it movie in mm-hmm. a lot of ways, like where mm-hmm. it was just like immediately go into the jump scare and then it just kept kept one after the other, like like with uh, Cruella with the needle drops, just <laughs> just no, no pacing whatsoever. And yeah, I think it, I think if they had had that courtroom, um, which is actually like an interesting story, like how they were able to relatively successfully defend someone using this, this, uh, the, the, this frankly ridiculous argument um that 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 could have you know made for a more uh unique uh unique film that would mean though that they had to actually put some like care and effort into it 
And uh, I think Griffith, you know, as we've been able to see with uh, franchises just in general, that level of care and creativity just doesn't exist when you're on episode nine of a franchise. Like it's all <laughs> turnkey operation at this point because you yeah. have like here's the the things we want to have happen in the movie, and here's point A where we're gonna have the character start, and here's where we need them to end at point B. Uh, because the next movie will take over from there. Fantastic. There's your studio notes. Now go make a horror movie, you crazy kids. Um, and then, you know, they don't take any second or third drafts to make it mean something for the most part. This is why uh, my family and I, we will be praying immediately after this episode for <laughs> Fast and the Furious 9 uh, to be the, uh, you know, incredible film that we all know it's going to be. Uh, it will be. It will beat the curse of The Conjuring. It will beat the curse of Star Wars, uh, and it will be a great movie. Um, but uh, we got to get those Our Fathers and Hail Marys in to make sure that happens. Aren't, mm-hmm. aren't they supposed to be going to space in this next one? So like, It has been teased. It has been yeah. teased. There's a car with a big rocket on it. So, you know, <laughs> I think yes. that might... I imagine that the car with the big rocket is going to, like, go up, and then you're going to be like, they're going to do a space thing, but then it's, like, going to go by the camera. It's going to be, like, directed by Justin Lin, <laughs> and they're, they're saving space for 10. Yeah, well, we can, we can only pray that it's the uh, the Jason X of the Fast and Furious. Oh, my God, please, Griff. Oh, that would be amazing. Are you kidding me? Uh, uh, there's a time jump that takes place. <laughs> Van Diesel is frozen. That comes back 200 years later. Uh, space cars. <laughs> well, there, it's rumored that they're going to merge the Fast and Furious and Jurassic Park franchises. That's true. So oh we could get dinosaurs yes. in space. <laughs> oh, fuck yes. We, the possibilities are endless. We will. I mean, like movies are becoming more and more <laughs> akin to Fortnite. Like I, I am pretty certain that Fortnite is the future of most uh, major entertainment products so i think not only is fast and furious going to cross over with jurassic park master chief is going to be in there as well as batman and john wick and uh they're gonna have to they're gonna have to get up to some adventures and i think audiences are going to be surprised to find out what those adventures are yeah you're gonna have a giant holographic travis scott you know doing doing a pop-up concert at some point (laughs) (laughs) well it'll just be beamed directly to your brain soon which i'm really excited for (laughs) like jojo siwa interrupts your morning coffee and it's just like you can either pay 15 cents to skip this or sit through the two and a half minute concert experience. And I'm just like, Jesus Christ, I don't have any no. money. I have still remember how uh, uh, Liz Smith, uh, the, the Buttigieg campaign uh, sicko was like, oh, we, we need to uh, beam Joe up Joe Biden hologram into Fortnite. So I think yeah. it's both the future <laughs> yeah. of media and the future of politics. No. <laughs> That's awesome. They should have done that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Honestly, like, why why didn't they? Yeah, at this point. Uh, Trump's yeah. going to beat them to it in 2024. They're going to get Trump in, like, the spinoff, like, the knockoff conservative Fortnite because they're going to be like, Fortnite is silencing conservative voices, yada, yada, yada. So you, Trump is going to have, like, a rambling 90-minute video where he's, you know, talking about how, you know, Vanity Fair is going down the tubes and everything and, you know, then gamers will be slaughtering each other in front of a giant holographic Trump. And I think that is pretty good. 
Hey, they're, they're going to put Trump in uh, Roblox. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to go Warzone, but Roblox is somehow much more fitting. I think that that, <laughs> hey, that gotta, should be got appeal to the youth. Yeah. Well, uh, now though we we get to the very end where we talk about you know the the rating of how many trash cans, uh, one to four. It's like an inverse of stars, people. Again, it's not rocket science. Except again, as I'm obligated to mention about Southland Tales, which is a four out of four. <laughs> star movie but also four <laughs> out of four trash cans uh for it. just just the way it operates but uh grift what are you giving this uh i'd say i'd say two to two and a half uh you know it would technically competent not embarrassingly made but it, it like you know i said it's it's very derivative of better movies full of hackney genre tropes um the strange combination of real life events with the over-the-top fantasy elements mm-hmm. uh and i i wanted to know more about the actual court case uh yeah so i was we we're i was doing some riffing with some people uh yesterday about how there's absolutely absolutely going to be a like terrible uh movie made by made about the capital riot uh probably produced by sorkin so uh, we, we honestly need a sorkin courtroom drama where the QAnon shaman uh uses demonic possession as a defense yikes oh my god yeah that was uh I don't like it, but I can definitely see it, and I can specifically see us covering it too. So that that's what hurts me even more inside, dear lord, dude. Uh, Evan, what about you? I'm gonna give it a solid two trash cans. Um, I think there is like if if you don't really care about the Conjuring universe or you just need something on in the background while you're doing the dishes or having a particularly terrible shit, then I think the conjuring <laughs> the devil made me do it is good enough for that. Um, you know, don't, don't use this as date night with the missus because you might not be uh, happy with how that ends up. Cause it's not as, it's not a good enough film. So, but again, like this is a major misstep uh, IMO for the conjuring universe. Have I seen any of the other films besides for the ones called the conjuring? No. Um, but, uh, I think these work better as, you know, more sort of stripped down haunted house movies. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen the changeling. Um, but, uh, yeah, 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 that's like a really incredible version of what these sort of movies could be. Uh, I think it came out in the eighties. Uh, it's, it's very good, but, um, this was, uh, not very good. (laughs) Uh, yeah, that, that definitely puts it mildly. Uh, for me, I definitely am going in the, uh, the two trash cans, you know, I, I can, uh, be bumped up to two and a half, but you know, that requires effort. And uh, ultimately, that means that I'm bringing three trash cans out. So that I'm, I'm going to keep it crammed to two because uh, it was fine. Again, it's baby's first horror movie. Uh, someone's going to like it. It's something you can put on in the background. It's not like a complete waste of space. It doesn't have the marvelized military propaganda, but it does kind of have the, the Reagan era satanic panic. So uh, just whatever kind of pushes your buttons more. Uh, I think that that's going to determine a lot of kind of how how garbage you want to consider all of this. But yeah, definitely not a good movie. Not really enjoying it. But uh, thankfully, I enjoyed this conversation. Enjoyed this way more than the movie. Notice that that's kind of how these things tend to go. But uh, we've gotten to plugs. So Evan, what's going on in your world? Oh, geez. Well, uh, I host the uh, socialist film podcast, Kino Lefter, uh, recorded in beautiful, sunny Edmonton, Alberta. And uh, we cover newly released films in the main feed. And uh, they're my horrible 
uh, mentally debilitating long-term projects are in the Patreon <laughs> feed. Um, so the Saw series is probably over by the time that this comes out and uh, takes from the Forbidden Zone a nine-part series on Planet of the Apes continues apace. Uh, and I'm having a lot of fun with that. And uh, yeah, that's you can find it wherever you're listening to this probably. Perfect, perfect. Uh, Grift, what about you? What's happening in the shop? Uh, so the official collab with uh, the uh, um, our promoter um, uh, handle at Pussy Jihad is out. It is a fantastic piece of art. Uh, go check that out. Uh, it is it is my pinned uh, tweet right now. Definitely one of the coolest pieces I've ever been able to have up in the shop. Um, and also as far as upcoming collabs, uh, everyone's favorite communist rapper, uh, JJ Demon, We've had him on the show for the Mortal Kombat episode. Yeah. His, his new album, uh, Ghost Gun Red Menace, is dropping sometime in, in uh, I think, in about a week. And I will be doing official merch for that. So be on the lookout for that as well. And I'm super excited to listen to his new project. Sweet, sweet. Uh, again, love JJ. Love what he's doing. Happy to see that, you know, the tendrils of the shop are going everywhere. So it's a, it's a positive thing. Um, let's see. So uh, in terms of the actual show, be sure that you're following us on Twitter. Uh, also send us your letterbox profiles so then we can follow you. If you haven't, you know, synced your letterbox up to your Twitter. Uh, also a uh, five-star review on iTunes, I guess, uh, even though iTunes is fundamentally unusable at this point still after the update. Uh, so in the meantime, also just be sure that you're following us on Spotify. That just about covers it. So without further ado, let's say goodbye, y'all. Bye-bye. Deuces. Bye-bye.